My first boss, my first job out of college, had this quote taped to the side of his desk, and it was the first thing that you saw when you looked into his office or when you walked by. And it struck me, and this is what it said. I saw it every day. I used to get frustrated with all of the interruptions to my work until I realized that the interruptions are my work. Not only was it a gracious word of welcome to me as his intern and a word of an open door policy to everyone who passed by his office, it challenged some of my own ideas about what effectiveness and efficiency looked like as I was entering the workforce and as I was entering adulthood. This saying let us know that our boss was really expecting our interruptions and even hoping for them day to day, and it made a big and lingering impression on me, and that was 20 years ago. And today, as we continue to think about what it means to love local, what it means to look down at our feet and notice where we are, and then to look up and see the people who are local to us and to move toward them in love, we are going to talk today about interruptions and explore this passage that Glenn just read, where Jesus, the creator of the universe, was interrupted continually. I wonder what it might have to say to us and the interruptions in our lives and the lives of people around us as we seek to be people who love local. So we're going to pray, and we are going to explore this passage together. So let's pray. Jesus, you are just the best, and this passage puts on display your goodness, your greatness, your compassion, your clarity of purpose, and your love. We pray, God, that as we turn to your word, that you would show us more of yourself so that we would go out into the world with a clearer understanding of who you are and a deeper love for you and a better sense of how you would have us live. Jesus, we pray these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. Well, I wonder if you noticed that in this passage that Glenn read that Jesus was interrupted three times from what he was doing. The passage even begins with an interruption. It says, while he was saying this, so Jesus is teaching. He's in the midst of the crowd. All eyes are on him. All ears are tuned to what he is saying, perhaps not in a setting too unlike this. And a leader of the synagogue came and knelt at his feet and interrupted his teaching and said, Jesus, my daughter has just died, but if you would come and put your hand on her, she will live. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write about this interaction. And from them, we learn that this little girl is this man's only daughter, and she's 12 years old. And this man is Jairus. He's a man of faith, a religious leader in a local congregation like ours. And in desperation, he came and he pleaded in front of the crowds for Jesus to go with him to raise his only daughter from the dead can only imagine the intensity and the hush of the crowd in that moment as they stared at Jesus. How would Jesus respond to this interruption? People were already so curious about this man who they know was born a peasant in a small town. They noticed that he moved easily among the marginalized, but he also spoke with authority, confronting those who abused power. His teaching challenged assumptions. His actions included those who had been cast out. He was direct and confident and charismatic and warm and smart and convincing. What 
would he do with this man who was knelt down at his feet? What we see is that Jesus left where he was and he went and followed Jairus. And as I've been sitting with this passage, I've tried to imagine what that walk was like from Jairus' house where they made their way through these crowds that wanted to be up close, that wanted to watch what was happening. Crowds so full, Luke tells us, that they almost crushed Jesus. But how urgent this frightened father must have been to get Jesus to his only daughter. But the crowds kept pressing in on them. And what we find out is that in this crowd, there was a woman who had had a bleeding disorder for 12 years. For as long as this little girl had been alive, this woman had been hemorrhaging. And according to Leviticus 15, her condition made her impure. So besides suffering this messy, painful, weakening condition, we also know from the other gospel writers that she had spent all her money on every doctor who would see her, and she only worsened. But not only that, she was unclean. That meant that her husband and children, if she had them, couldn't even eat the food that she had prepared. They couldn't sit down where she had sat. They couldn't touch her without becoming unclean themselves. She isn't even allowed to come into worship services. She knows herself a burden to everyone, and she is lonely. And so here is the second interruption In another act of desperation and really remarkable faith, this woman pushes in closely. She's hiding in the crowd behind Jesus, and she reaches out and just touches the edge of his clothes. And immediately, the flow of blood stops, and she knows that her body has been healed. And at that same moment, what the other gospel writers tell us is that Jesus feels the power go out from him at that very moment moment. Rather than Jesus becoming unclean and contaminated by her touch, she is healed and made pure by the power that flowed from him into her. So as Jesus is responding to this first interruption of, Jesus, of Jairus's urgent love for his 12-year-old daughter, Jesus allows himself to be again interrupted. It says that he turns and he sees this woman And this is what I love so much. Not only does he turn and see her, but he calls her daughter. Did you see that? And it just makes my heart explode with love for Jesus every time I read it. That as he is on his way to take care of Jairus' daughter, he pauses and calls this woman his own daughter. Jesus claims this suffering woman who has been outcast and alone as his own. It's such an amazing word in that one naming her as his own of care and love. And he could have said, my power has healed you. But instead, he honors her faith. This woman who had been cast out even from worship. And he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And he lifts her up in a moment of such kindness. And as this was happening, I couldn't help but wonder, what was Jairus thinking about this interruption? He so urgently needed Jesus to get to his daughter, and yet he sees this moment of compassion. But then when they finally arrive at Jairus' house, they are met with yet another interruption. Crowds, 
loud wailing musicians. It was the custom to hire professional wailers and mourners to come into the home of the dead, to bring the community into the home for communal and public mourning. And this detail lets us know for sure that everyone knew that this little girl had already died. But Jairus, in his remarkable faith, believed that Jesus could make her alive again. And what's so interesting to me is that Jesus does not accommodate this interruption of the noisy crowd. In fact, the language here is really strong. He sent them away, and more literally, he exercised them from the space. So unlike Jairus and this woman who had been sick for 12 years, this crowd did not have faith that Jesus could heal. They had seen for sure that Jairus' daughter was dead, and so quickly their wailing for the dead turned into mocking of this Jesus. What we read in all the Synoptic Gospels is that Jesus essentially waited out this interruption, and once they had been put out, he went into the little girl's room, and he took her by the hand, and she stood up. I also love that in Mark and Luke, Jesus said, give her something to eat. I love that. Perhaps just another detail to show just how very alive this 12-year-old little girl is. And again, Jesus is defying the purity rites to declare that anyone who touched a dead body would become unclean by them. But Jesus shows us again that power and purity flow from him the other way toward people. And it flows from him to this little girl who once was dead and is now alive. And of course, with all the crowds and the community and the professional wailers outside, having seen a corpse and now seeing a little girl having a snack, news about Jesus starts to spread even more. And people are coming to wonder, is this that Messiah that our prophets told us about? The one who came to reverse the law of sin and death? We see that life and purity radiate from him, and he gives away life and holiness freely. Every time I looked at this passage, something new jumped out to me. But every time, I just thought, Jesus is so awesome. I love him. I love how he responds. I love how tough he is. I love how gentle he is. I love how generous he is. How amazing it is that we belong to this Jesus. That he calls us friends, that he calls us brothers and sisters. He even calls us daughters and sons. And that is an amazing thing. So what I want you to know this morning is that if you are in Christ, if you have said yes to Jesus, that you have received this healing and this new life just as the hemorrhaging woman and the little girl did. You have a Savior who sees you, who has turned toward you and claimed you as his own by his own death and resurrection. And this Jesus calls you, invites you to follow him. So today, as we hold all of the goodness and wonder of this passage, we're going to see what we can glean from the way that Jesus responded to these interruptions. And I just want to say, if this is new to you, if Jesus is new to you, we are so glad that you're here, and we want you to know him. So during communion uh, and prayer after the service, anytime, please come and talk to us, because we want to share with you more about Jesus and his love for you. 
But love local, as we're talking about, is really about loving Jesus, loving people with Jesus' love in our everyday life, in our day-to-day world. And interruptions are part of that. So here are four things I think that we can glean from this passage about interruptions. The first is this. Interruptions are part of life. And C.S. Lewis said it like this in a letter to someone he was discipling. I love the graciousness of his words here. He says, The great thing, if you can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions to your, quote, own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what you call the interruptions are precisely your real life, the life God is sending you day by day. What you call your real life is a phantom of your own imagination. It's like my boss's sign. Instead of being frustrated with the things we think of as interruptions that take us away from our smooth life as we want it to roll out, we actually need to understand those interruptions as life, as real life, something God has allowed to cross our path, not a detour or a wrong turn. As we saw last week in Isaiah, Comfort and ease, this smooth, uninterrupted path, having no unpleasantness or no interruptions, certainly does not mean that God has blessed or is pleased with our life the way that it is. Nor do bumpy roads or crises mean that God is displeased with us or not caring for us, walking through the valley of the shadow of death with us, as we just sang. I wonder what interruptions or unpleasant things look like in your life currently. And this last week, for me, it was having uh, two sick kids home the first week of school when I had really planned to pack my days because finally they were uh, tending at school. They needed attention. They needed mom or dad to be home from work. They needed medicine. It was a broken washing machine that had to be hauled away even though it was completely filled with dirty water and a huge load of clothes, which is why it broke, probably. It meant that a new one had to be picked out and paid for and delivered and this other one taken away. It was midnight nightmares that interrupted sleep and needed attention and tenderness and care. It was a couple people near and far who I love deeply who are in really deep crises, interruptions to their own life. So none of these were part of my plan for my week. In fact, they all interrupted my schedule and my work and my sleep and my finances and my emotions. But when we remember that we are not the author of our lives, that in fact, as Romans tells us, our lives are not our own, we can see that interruptions are part of life, even things that God might intend for us. So this doesn't mean that we don't have schedules or prioritize what's important or make plans, but we do so remembering that God is the one who knows all things, who holds all things together. And if Jesus, the creator of all things, the one who holds all of things in existence, can be interrupted by needs and crises of the people around us, it better be that his followers can say that about our lives as well. Here's another thing that I see in this passage Jesus did not respond to all of these interruptions in the same way. Did you notice that? This first interruption was a situation of life and death. Jesus got up immediately and left what he was doing to go and be with Jairus. Even though he was in the midst of something important with other people, at the moment of this urgent request for help, Jesus went with him to his home, to the place of need. 
The second interruption, this one of the woman's prolonged illness and her demonstration of faith, Jesus stopped. He turned from what he was doing to tend to this woman, to be present in that moment, to care for her, to speak words of love and courage. But then he kept going. And this third interruption, which was the noisy, mocking distraction, Jesus didn't just ignore, he got rid of it so that he could focus on what was most important. He did not allow that interruption to distract him or disrupt him from what he was doing. So it's helpful to see that Jesus doesn't respond to every interruption the same way. I think what this means for us that we can learn is that interruptions require discernment. Some interruptions are going to be life and death. Some are not even worth our time and energy and everywhere in between. So it will be for us, especially as we seek to love local, to see what's right in front of us and to know how would we respond to the people in front of us. Well, the good news is that Jesus has not left us alone to figure this out, to deal with interruptions on our own. So not only do we have his example in Scripture here and in other places as well, he has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us. We just sang about that. That God is with us always. And we can ask him, Lord, what would you have me do here? Holy Spirit, would you guide me in this moment as I address this interruption in front of me? One of the things I love in Mark 2, Jesus is having another miraculous healing when the paralyzed man, his friends, drop him through the roof. And in that moment, Jesus is discerning both the mockers at that time and how to deal with the crowds. And in a moment of interruption, it talks about Jesus' discernment like this. Jesus knew in his spirit. I love that. Jesus knew in his spirit. And we also, because of Jesus, because he has given us his spirit, we can learn to listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings and leading and ask him that we would know what to do, that we would know in our spirit. So we have scripture We have the gift of the Spirit, and Jesus has also given us one another. And part of discernment is checking our response to interruptions with others, asking for counsel and wisdom from trusted people who will seek God on our behalf. And finally, we have what experience has taught us, and this is often how God speaks to his people, through his word, through his Spirit, through the community of believers, and by our own experience. Perhaps you had an interruption— in your past, and you've always regretted not responding more personally. You had an opportunity to show up, and you didn't. I hear that from people a lot. Or perhaps you know that you tend to over-respond because you have this need to be needed, I say, out of my own experience. And that experience can inform the way that you respond to future interruptions as well. Jesus did not respond to everyone, to every interruption in the same way nor should we. So third, Jesus was interrupted by all sorts of people. First, he was interrupted by a leader in the community, a man of faith, a man of high regard with resources and influence. Then he was interrupted by a ritually unclean woman who was a burden to all the systems in her culture, her social culture, medical religious, even her own family system, she was a burden to. 
Next, he was interrupted by an adolescent girl, and what we know from historical context is that the pagan community at this time would often leave girls to be abandoned at birth, exposed to the elements or left as orphans at the whim of a compassionate, uh, usually, follower of God. Girls were among the lowest ranking in society, something that Jesus turned on its head. And then finally, he was interrupted by mocking crowds, people who laughed at him, people who disrupted and distracted. So Jesus was interrupted by all sorts of people, and we can imagine that God is going to bring all sorts of people into our lives, and even that God might ask you to be interrupted by them. So one of the things that I love in this passage is that Jesus teaches us that people of influence, even people with great resources, have needs whether they acknowledge it like Jairus did or not, it doesn't matter who you are. Every single person will be confronted with spiritual needs that are on the order of life and death. One of the things Eric said last week is that especially someone who might live in our culture, in Boulder, where we have so much comfort, so much wealth, it's possible that we can float through life and not even know our deepest needs until we have an interruption. Every single person was created for relationship with God. Every single person was created for eternal life with God. And every single person, no matter how many resources they have, will be interrupted by the realities of life and death at some point. And God may give you an opportunity to be with them when they face that interruption. So I want to encourage you, as we seek to love local, Expect that you are going to be interrupted with people who have more status, who have more resources, who have more wealth and clout than you do. But you also are probably going to be interrupted by people with needs that are so overwhelming you don't know what to do, like 12 years of hemorrhaging, or by people who we perceive have nothing to offer us in return like Jairus' daughter. So we're prone to ignore those interruptions sometimes. Whatever can be said or done with such intractable problems, like 12 years of illness, or such sorrow or even death like we see in Jairus' household. Well, what we see here is that the way of Jesus is to let yourself be interrupted by someone who has a need that is beyond you, a need so big that it requires the power of God to let yourself be interrupted by someone who would otherwise be abandoned, to allow yourself to be interrupted by someone in deep grief, to turn and to see them, to name them, to speak hope and love to them. I love this saying, one of the greatest expressions of the gospel of Jesus Christ is when Jesus' people move toward difficult people, when Jesus' people move toward difficult situations, rather than away from them. It may be that that difficult person or that difficult situation is someone in your own home. It may be that that difficult person or situation is someone on your same team in your work or school or team. Or it may be someone or something that you don't even know about at this moment that God is going to allow to interrupt and bring across your path. I love this quote as well. When Jesus was interrupted, he started where he was 
and he helped those in need who were nearest to him. There is always another mission out there, the next cause, the next city, or the next country that seems to be the most important mission we could pursue. Jesus illustrates that our greatest mission is often the person in front of us. And that really is the heart of Love Local and what we are talking about. So just a little word about this mocking crowd, because we know that Jesus cared for those people too, even if he wasn't going to be interrupted by them from what he was doing. So my best guess is that Jesus knew that the testimony of what he was about to do, the testimony of his life, of his power, of this little girl's life would reach them. And I think that's a word of hope for us, that if you are interrupted by people who mock you, who laugh at your faith, ask God to reveal himself to him, to them. Ask Jesus to show himself faithful in their life, maybe in their life or through the life of another person. I hope that we will expect that people of great influence, people who are suffering, those who mock us, that those interruptions will come across our paths so that Jesus can show himself loving and faithful and powerful to them. And then this final point here. I really believe that one of the things that we see in this passage is that interruptions are invitations. And some of the interruptions in our lives are invitations from God himself to us. So what if we allowed the things that interrupt our days, that interrupt our path, to be invitations to care, to pay more attention, maybe even to rest with someone, to bless another person, to offer a word of thanks to God, to be reoriented in some way. Sometimes that is a sick child in your own home having a nightmare, that you can be with them in that moment. Sometimes it's the thirsty washing machine delivery guy who needs a cup of cold water and a word of thanks and encouragement. Sometimes it's your own husband who you have to have marriage conversations with as you think about what washer and dryer you're going to buy and that that can be a moment for tenderness in your own marriage. Sometimes it's a neighbor in a major crisis. Last week, a couple from our church family, as we were doing Love Local t-shirts and everything out there, came up and they told me about um, a neighbor in their, uh, on their street who had had a, real, a big crisis, out, totally out of the blue. And this couple from our church didn't know these neighbors super well yet, but they wondered, they could see that there was this really significant interruption in their life. And so they wondered how they could respond in some way to be of help. And I love that what they decided to do was to make the enchiladas that Tom created for us from our eat together two years ago. I love that. So they allowed this interruption in their neighbor's life to interrupt their lives some, and they saw it as an invitation to extend care and compassion to these people on their street that they didn't know very well. And what I love is they said they went to check on these neighbors a couple days later, And they found out that they're vegetarian and they can only eat gluten-free food, which those enchiladas are. And of all the things that got brought to them, it was the only food that they could eat freely. And that little thing, that little act of bringing a meal to people in crisis, especially one that they could eat that was homemade, expressed, they said, such thoughtfulness and care in that simple act. 
And that is so love local. What if we started to consider these interruptions to our lives and the lives of people around us as invitations for God to share his care and love and showing up? And we trust that the Holy Spirit will flow through us to bring healing and life and compassion. What an incredible thing that we get to be called to be part of, that God would invite us to be interrupted, that we would allow him to interrupt us enough that we could be part of what he is doing in the lives of other people. And how perfect that we um, today come to this table because this table reminds us that God is so near to us that he goes with us, that he is nearer to us than the bread and the juice that we take into our body and that he nourishes us, that he fills us with his own love and healing, that we would be people who could share it with others. So let's pray as we gather around this table. Oh God, you are so good. And we know that you love the whole world, that you sent your one and only son. He died for us. He sacrificed his life for the whole world that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. We thank you, God, that not only have you made that sacrifice for us, but then you have given us your spirit to go with us every single day. So, Lord, we pray as we come to this table that we would be reminded not only of your sacrifice, but of your nearness, of your filling of us, that you would send us out into the world that we would love well in your name. So Lord, we thank you and we gather around your table with thanksgiving. In Christ's name, amen. So on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he was eating with his disciples. And he took the bread that they were eating and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood that's been poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And Paul tells us that whenever we eat this bread, whenever we drink this cup, we are proclaiming Jesus' saving death until he comes again. This really is a Thanksgiving table, a family meal where we gather and we receive these gifts of God in joy and uh, thanksgiving. All our elements are allergen-free, gluten-free, so that we all can eat uh, from the same loaf, from the same table. And we'll invite you, the ushers will dismiss you, you can come forward and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and uh, receive it. And as you go back to your seat, uh, know this time to be a time of fellowship, to be with one another, to uh, read the word, to uh, spend time with the Lord in Thanksgiving. And we have lots of kids here with us. Kids, uh, if you are not someone who takes communion yet, we invite you to come forward and we would love to give you a blessing, but we want you to know that you are part of our family of faith. So let me invite the servers forward as we receive these gifts of God for the people of God.